welcome to the Leading Simple with Rusty George. And I'm really honored to have our guest with us today. Uh, someone gave me a book recommendation months ago called The Uniform of Leadership by Jason Romano. And leadership, yeah, I'm interested. Forward by John Gordon, very interested. But when I saw that this guy's a former employee of ESPN, I said, I'm in. And I read it and it was great. And Jason is kind enough to spend some time with us on the podcast. So Jason, welcome. We're really glad that you're here. Good to be with you, Rusty. Thanks so much for asking me to come on with you. So we just got to get a couple things out of the way. Yeah, you worked at ESPN, but as I'm just learning, you're a Celtics fan, which is kind of like, you know, uh, you're, you're a wolf in sheep's clothing in my mind. So that's a little bitter bitter pill to swallow but uh, i understand i, I, I understand you're a lakers fan so listen i totally get it we can we can coexist here's why i know this rusty because my brother the one who led me to jesus the one who uh, is a pastor and probably my hero in life when i look at him and the way that he's turned out he's a huge lakers fan mm-hmm. and i'm a celtics fan and so we've grown up since we were kids we're on our 40s now and uh, we still root for the same teams, and we love each other. So we can get along, Rusty. We can still make it work, man. Yeah, I know. And that's that, only because of the grace of Jesus am I able to that's move right. on. With, uh, and the fact that, you know, we, we beat you more times. So, hey. That is true. Uh, okay, so for our listeners who haven't had the pleasure of reading your book and haven't had a chance to talk to you yet, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey and, and uh, just kind of who you are. Yeah, so you mentioned the ESPN side of it. That's probably what most people would have any interest, I guess, in anything I've accomplished. Uh, For 17 years, uh, I was a producer there, and I worked there on the television side, the radio side, on the uh, social media and digital media side, and got to work on a lot of shows that you would have watched if you're an ESPN fan, like Mike and Mike and SportsCenter and NFL Live, Monday Night Football. So lots of cool opportunities. And that really stems when I was a kid, to just being the biggest sports fan you could ever meet. You know, and that started probably seven, eight, nine years old, not only watching sports with my dad and my grandfather, but playing sports, playing, you know, Little League baseball, high school baseball, playing high school basketball, um, watching football, didn't really play football. That was the Laker fan brother who is the high school football star. But we, uh, we always were a football and a baseball and a basketball sports family. And uh, that's where it really where it stemmed from. When I realized I wasn't going to be able to go professional or even play in college much, I played a little bit of community college basketball. Uh, that's when I turned my attention to maybe thinking about a career in broadcasting because that was the next best thing. If you can't play it, well, let's talk about sports. And that's really where the idea came from when I was in high school, uh, went to college for uh, two years at a community college and then two years at a state school in New York. And Those four years spent in college, my goal, my primary goal was to just get my degree and learn as much about broadcasting as I could so that I could get a job potentially someday in that field. And uh, thankfully, I got three years in a local radio station in Albany, New York, where I grew up and uh, worked there. And then that led to ESPN. And so I'm also a husband and a dad and there's all sorts of things going on there, but it's lots of fun and it's been a great journey. So tell us a little bit about your relationship with Christ. Uh, you know, you mentioned in the book a little bit, a lot about that, but your brother led you to Christ who's younger than you. Uh, yeah. Just how did all that come about? Yeah. So as a kid, grew up uh, going to Catholic church, St. Patrick's church in Ravina, New York is where my grandfather went and uh, he would take us on Sundays. He, he basically bribed us, Rusty. He would say, hey, come to church with us 
uh, with me basically on a Sunday morning and I'll take you bowling after I'll take you to the arcade or take you somewhere that would be fun. Um, so we kind of suffered through going to church as kids, uh, didn't really understand church much. I, I do, uh, thank my grandfather who's since passed for taking us just planting some seeds here and there, but I didn't understand what church was about or, or who Jesus was or who God was never heard the words relationship or, uh, salvation or anything like that, or really paid attention to that, or really was introduced to that as a kid. Although I did make my first communion, I did do my confirmation, the good Catholic uh, kid things that you're supposed to do. Uh, but from my mid-teen years until probably 25, 26, uh, I was pretty much done with church. Like, I just didn't care. Uh, it's not that I had anything against church or God or I didn't have any people in my life who were followers of Christ. And, you know, I was so focused on my career and trying to get a job in broadcasting and accomplishment and achievement that it just didn't even dawn on me to think about salvation or church or anything like that. But you mentioned my brother, the Lakers fan loving Chris Romano, my brother, um, who is younger than me, two and a half years younger than me. In 1998, he was the first in our family to become a Christian, to get saved. And as a kid who grew up, in a very nominal church setting, and then watching this guy, my brother, go from a really bad situation that he was in in his life and having a, a complete 180 turn into this new walk with Jesus, um, we were so happy for him, but we were also really weirded out by it because it was different. It was, it was, we thought he was in a cult at first, to be quite honest with you. We thought he was crazy. We we're like, what is this religious thing? that you're doing. And he would always say, it's not about religion, Jace. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And I'm, I'm like, that still sounds too crazy for me, Chris, but right. if it's working for you and you're not where you were, I'm happy for you. Uh, but I watched him over the next couple years live this thing out. Like the way he loved his wife, who he's still married to, Tara, the way he loved his firstborn, my nephew, Sam, who was the first Romano child born 20 years ago, the way he parented, the way he treated people, and the passion that he had for his walk with the Lord, it was very attractive. Now, it didn't mean right away that I wanted what he had, but it started to just grow almost like a, a really, like the Bible says, a sweet aroma you know, of the Lord. It kind of just grew on me a little bit, and it culminated with Mother's Day 2001. Uh, my brother invites me and my mom and my other brother, Damien, to church with him. And my brother got saved, Rusty, you like this, in a, in a Pentecostal charismatic church. Now, if you remember, we grew up in a Catholic church. I was just and thinking about the, the difference. It is there. both ends of the spectrum in terms of church experience. It just is. And going to my brother's church, you got people clapping, you got worship, you got hands being raised. Uh, it was just a different setting. And I was very uncomfortable the very first time I went to his church, but that day was probably the third time that I had been to his church on Mother's Day 2001. And I don't remember what the message was. Uh, I don't remember if I even enjoyed the service. All I remember is my brother afterwards, we went back to his house to kind of spend Mother's Day together as a family. And we ended up inside his house heading back towards his bedroom. And he just asked me this question. He said, what'd you think of the service? He was curious. And I said, you know, it was okay. And uh, just saying okay, I guess, to him was an opportunity for him to kind of go in a little bit deeper with me. 
Mm. And he said, just okay. You, you didn't hate it. I said, no, I didn't really hate it. He's like, come with me for a second. And we end up in the back bedroom of his house sitting on his, on his bed. And he says, I want to tell you about this relationship with Jesus if you'd be interested in hearing it. I said, yeah, tell me more. And that's where he shared the gospel with me. And I didn't know exactly what I was saying yes to. And I tell people this to this day, you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know every single page of this Bible to be able to say yes to Jesus. It's really the starting point. It's not the ending point. Although there is some assurance when you say yes to Jesus that you now have salvation and you now have you know, eternal life by putting your faith and trust in him. But for me, it was a starting point. And he asked me if I would accept Christ. I said, yes, we prayed this prayer. And that was the beginning 19 years now of a walk with the Lord. Again, it's been a journey. Uh, I would say that it took me probably a good year to really understand what I had said yes to, but that's where it all started. <laughs> that's incredible. And just the fact that I think there's a lot of people out there that have a sibling or a parent or somebody in their life they want to share the gospel with. They're just really not sure how to do it. And certainly if you know their sibling is older than them, there's the whole you know, pecking order there and, and just the persistency he had and just the relational, obviously you guys are friends and obviously brothers, but the ability not to just pound you over the head with it, but to ask you about it and or do you even want to hear about this? And that's such, such good insight for all of our listeners. Well, he did too. I mean, initially when he got saved, like it was fire and brimstone, like he had turned his life around. He had this revelation yeah. and he wanted to tell everybody. And so he's telling me and my brothers and my mom and my, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, he was telling us all this stuff and like, you got to go learn about who Jesus is. And we were just really taken back, you know, and he learned, I think early on, cause he was young. I think he was 23 or 22 at the time, but he learned pretty quickly that beating somebody over the head with, with a Bible is probably not going to work when you're trying to get people to begin a relationship with the Lord. And like I said, it was a three-year process of me watching him and him kind of pulling back a little bit from trying to, if you want to call it, force his faith on us and just living it out mm. and us watching him. And he still, you know, he was, he was probably my best friend. Both of my brothers have been my best friend for, you know, forever. And we stayed close, even though we had differences or just different beliefs or philosophies, whatever you want to call it, in those couple of years. So we stayed close, and he, I think, recognized the relational equity that we had built up to where he said, wait, let me just tell you about what I believe and not force this. Mm -hmm. And just an invite to church and me saying yes. Mm. It's, it, I remember my wife didn't even come with me that day on Mother's Day. She went to be with her mom and I went to be with my mom. We just kind of broke it up that day for some reason. I went to be with my family and I came back and told her what happened. She's like, oh my gosh, did, did your brother get to you? You know, and I said, he didn't get to me. I said, it's just this new thing. And I don't even know what I said yes to, but I'm just learning. And it, but it was, it was this opportunity for my brother to recognize a moment and trust that even if I rejected it, that it wasn't going to impact the relational equity that we have built, that we were still going to love each other, that we were still going to be brothers. Right. And uh, I'm thankful for him. I really am because he's been not just the catalyst to start my relationship with the Lord, but he's been the guy that's helped me grow. And I would call him my spiritual leader in a lot of ways. He knows more about the Bible, Rusty, than any person I know. 
And I always tell people they should be interviewing Chris and not me because he just knows so much about who Jesus is and has this amazing relationship with him. And I'm so thankful for him. Wow. Well, another big influence in your life is obviously your dad. You talk a lot about him in the book. Tell me a little bit about some of the things that that stick out to you when you think about the influence your dad had on you. Yeah, it's uh, it wasn't a great influence at first. You know, we grew up, the first book I wrote called Live to Forgive is about that journey of forgiving my dad. Right. Uh, my dad and my mom um, divorced when I was four, almost five years old. And so I grew up in a pretty much a broken home early on. And I don't have any memory of my dad and mom living together uh, and being together. So right away, the memories I have are of a divorced family. Um, when I was seven, eight, nine years old, I would spend the weekends with my father and be with my mom pretty much during the week. And those weekends consisted of watching sports. So that's where the sports love came from. But it also consisted of a lot of times I would go with my dad and go to the bars and he would go up to the bar and drink and have his fun with his friends. And he would give me quarters and buy me a soda and I would go play pinball or video games. Mm -hmm. And now seven or eight year old. But as I got older, and I saw the alcohol and the toll that it was taking on my father. Uh, it became a very confusing relationship to eventually a very uh, broken relationship for many, many years. Uh, I say he had a huge influence on me for a variety of reasons. Number one, I mentioned the sports side of things. Uh, but I also, through the process of growing up, through high school, through college, through marriage and becoming a dad... Basically, I was trying to be and accomplish everything that my dad didn't do or couldn't do. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be a father in the worst way because I wanted to be a better dad to my son or daughter than my dad ever was with me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I tell people the very thing that should have brought my dad and I together, sports, is what tore us apart. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want something like that to tear apart me as a father to my child. And so I wanted to do that. I wanted to achieve and accomplish and get all of these um, potential things happening in my life as far as a career, as far as getting married and staying married. You know, my dad divorced twice. And so I just wanted to kind of do all these things in spite of him. So he had an impact on me, probably not in the good way that you would think, but I've told him now as our relationship has been sort of repaired a little bit that you know, God had a purpose and a plan, even in the worst situation that you could imagine. And now I'm probably the person I am today because you went through what you went through. We went through what we went through. I would not wish to go through that again on any level, but it's made me who I am and God has seen us through it. So it's, it was a very difficult relationship that I had a tough time walking through for many, many years. I had a lot of anger and bitterness towards him uh, that I, even after becoming a Christian, just did not know how to forgive or what forgiveness truly looked like. It was a tough time. So for all of our listeners that are thinking, boy, I've got a dad like that, or I've got a mom like that, or a sibling, what was it that had to change in you to get you to, to that place? Did you, did you have to have a conversation? Were you able to make some mental resolves in your mind? I mean, obviously, you know, your relationship with Jesus played a huge role in that, but what were some of the steps you had to take to make things right or at least make you comfortable with things? Well, it took me um, taking myself out of the equation and trying to look at this situation through the lens of Christ. Uh, for many years, I had myself on a pedestal. This is even after I became a Christian. I had myself on this pedestal of accomplishment and achievement 
and said, well, I'm up here because this is what I got to do. And my dad, who lost his job, lost two wives, um, you know, depression, anxiety, alcoholism, broken relationships with his entire family, not just with his three sons. And I put him down at this, you know, on the bottom of the totem pole and I was at the top. And so I was viewing this from a worldly perspective and saying, he just didn't matter. But then when you take those worldly lenses off and you put the lens of Christ on and you look at my dad and you look at me, we are on equal playing fields. We are the same person when it comes to who Christ says we are. Mm-hmm. And that took me a very long time to get because the, the worldly perspective, every time my dad would call, all embarrassing. I, I write pretty openly and, and candidly in the book about some of the things that he said. He was never physically abusive, but he was always, when he was abusive, it was always verbally abusive. And sometimes those words hurt more uh, than people can imagine. And I heard some terrible things come out of my father's mouth about me and about my family. And I had a hard time coming to a place to forgive him because those wounds ran really deep. And because from a worldly perspective, we often want vengeance. We want revenge on others who hurt us. We want them to feel the pain that we're feeling. Mm -hmm. And so we go right back at them, which is what I did for many years. It wasn't until my dad hit his lowest point in 2013 Uh, where he was just basically done with life. He didn't want to live anymore. Um, He actually tried to commit suicide, uh, was unsuccessful, and uh, was just at a breaking point in his life. And at that point for me, I really didn't want anything to do with him. I was just kind of done. Like Mm -hmm. I I hate admitting this and saying this because I don't talk about it too often, but when I do, I say, listen, it almost felt like at that moment it would have been better if he just did go away. Mm-hmm. And his life was over because of the pain that he kept causing himself and others. And that's a terrible thing to think about and say out loud, but that's really truthfully where I was. And then when he hit that point where he almost you know, died, uh, I did about a week of soul searching and prayer and talking to my pastor, talking to some other people in my life, certainly my brothers. And I just came back and I said, listen, I, I have to recognize that this forgiveness thing that I need to do to, I need to get to is twofold. Number one, it's Jesus commands us to forgive every single time that we've been hurt. That's Mm -hmm. a hard thing to hear out loud, but it's scripture. So if you're a follower of Christ, you're supposed to forgive. He talks about 70 times seven, uh, right there, Matthew 18. So we're commanded to forgive, but also forgiveness is not about my dad. For me, I needed to forgive for myself. I needed to forgive because I was the one that was in bondage, not my dad. When I was withholding forgiveness to him, it was like I was the one trapped in chains. Right. I was the one in the cage. And I always thought by withholding forgiveness from him that it was because he didn't deserve it. Well, I don't deserve forgiveness either from a God who is holy and just and sovereign. And yet all I have to do is ask for forgiveness through his son and I'm forgiven. And so I don't deserve it. And so who am I to say my dad doesn't deserve it either? Hmm. And again, this took a a long time, Rusty, to work through. Uh, And I just told my dad, I had a conversation with him. I verbally told him, I forgive you. It was a conversation that needed to take place, but it wasn't something that was instantaneous. You know, it's not a microwavable meal forgiveness. It is a long crock pot process that goes on really for the rest of our lives. But you always have to start somewhere. 
Mm -hmm. For me, starting that moment and actually being able to tell him I forgive him was where it began. And then now it's been seven years, this process of walking through forgiveness with my father. And we're in a much better place than we were then. Uh, We are reconciled. And I know forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation. But in this case, for us, it's worked out that way. And we have a good relationship. It's not great, but it's much better than it was. Wow. I think the key thing there is that you had to come to realize this is going to be a journey. It's not like, I love that. It's not a microwavable meal. Um, and I think we I all wish want it was. That. Yeah. We <laughs> yeah, all want that. I wish it was. And yeah. we say, I forgive you and we're moving on. But man, the, the ramifications last a long time. So, so you have that going on in the background, <laughs> but professionally yeah. things were going really well. I mean, you finally get this job at ESPN. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, getting that job and what your job entailed and, and the car wash, as you talk about in the book. Yeah, so it's interesting. I had four different jobs, maybe three different jobs at ESPN as far as title status. But in essence, they were basically the same thing. I was a producer. So I started out in radio. I worked on ESPN Radio, the national network, for three and a half years. And I worked on a show called Mike and Mike in the Morning. In its very infancy, probably six months after the show was created, I was working on it as a show broker for them and, you know, did my time at ESPN radio, then moved to television and got to work for nine years on the television side where I was a talent booker, talent producer. That's where you book the guests for all the different shows that you'd hear and see on ESPN. And so I was working on sports center. I was working on Monday night football. I was working on a show called outside the lines with Bob Lee, uh, which I loved working on that show with Bob. I got to work on the NFL Live project uh, and book guests for all of our NFL shows. So I had a blast doing that. And that's really where I spent the majority of my car wash experience there. And I'll tell you about the car wash in a second and doing that job at ESPN and also building relationships. Those nine years as a talent booker, when you're booking guests for a very large network, you're building relationships with a ton of people. And that's really where those relationships that I still continue to have to this day were culminated in and really kind of took birth was when I was working as a talent booker. My last four years at ESPN, I worked as a social media producer. And that was when social media in 2012 was really starting to, to begin to take an uptick as far as popularity. You know, Twitter was becoming a thing. Facebook was definitely a thing by that point. You know, Instagram wasn't even there yet. And, uh, and it, we kind of got on the groundswell and the cusp of just starting a social media division at ESPN. And so I was tasked to come in and build up the NFL social and was really excited about doing that and did that for four years and then worked on Mike and Mike. Ironically, my last year on that show doing their social media. And so I bookended my career on Mike and Mike. But in the midst of that, Rusty, was the car wash. And what the ESPN car wash is is not has nothing to do with cars, nothing to do with water, soap. It's basically a day that you take a guest that you would book at ESPN and bring them to Bristol and our offices and have them go from show to show to show if you come to ESPN. So when you come to ESPN, you think about all the shows they have, all the radio shows, all the television shows, all the online digital programs, you know, the website, all of these different platforms that ESPN had you could come to ESPN, sort of a one-day, one-stop shop, do eight or nine interviews with all of these different entities and promote your book, promote your movie, promote whatever you were promoting and get seen all over ESPN. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so if you had a guest come to ESPN, come to Bristol, you were going to get the publicity of all publicities, right? As far as sports goes. And my job in essence was to book guests, but it was also to bring these guests to ESPN and go through the car wash. I want to take a break from our podcast to ask you this question. Have you ever thought to yourself, I just prayed, but now what? Well, my new book, After Amen, releases October 17th, and it deals with the question we've all faced, and that is, what do I do after I say amen? Uh, If you've had experiences like me, you know sometimes silence can be deafening after we pray. We wonder, did God hear us? Is he going to answer? What's he going to do? This book dives into what do you do after you say amen, and there are seven surprising things that can actually not only help you be able to hear God better, but might even change his mind and affect your answer. So just go over to PastorRustyGeorge.com and you can pre-order the book, which releases on October the 17th. It'll be shipped out to you as soon as they are released. It's $15.99 on Amazon, but we're going to give it to you for $14 over at my website, PastorRustyGeorge.com. Now, back to the episode. Okay, so two two names I want to ask you about that you ran through the car wash there. Uh, One is Drew Brees. What did you learn from him? What was that like? Drew was great. I'll never forget that day because that was the day LeBron James announced his decision to leave Cleveland and go to the Miami Heat. That was a very famous day because the decision, 10 years ago it was, in 2010, the decision was sort of looming at ESPN. What's LeBron going to do? He's going to do it on ESPN. And that's the same day I had scheduled Drew Brees to come to Bristol (laughs) to promote his new book. He had just come off winning a Super Bowl. He was the Super Bowl MVP. He was at the peak of his powers, right, at 30 years old. Mm -hmm. And so we had to have Drew go through the car wash that day because it was the only day he was available. If he was available another day, we would have preferred that because of the decision and all that was going on. Uh, Drew was awesome. You know, Drew's the only guest that ever came through Bristol and through ESPN that asked to have a workout while he was doing his car wash, meaning I need an hour of my time to go you know, work out and get that workout in. Uh, this was in July. So he was a couple weeks away from training camp. And I used to think, Drew, why don't you just take a day off? Like you just won the Super Bowl. You just won the Super Bowl MVP. Why do you need to get a workout in? And you asked what I learned. Here's the lesson. Drew said, I can't take any days off, Jason, right now, because there are people behind me that are trying to take my job, number one even though I kind of laughed at him. I said, nobody's taking your job, Drew. You're the Super Bowl MVP. (laughs) But that's not how he viewed it. You know, he's great because he recognizes that there are guys who want to be great behind him, other Mm. quarterbacks, and he could be gone tomorrow if he got hurt. You just never know. So he felt like he needed to work hard at his job, even when he was celebrating his book release because somebody else else was trying to take his job. The other thing was, He told me, and Drew was a Christian, he wrote about it in his book uh, about his faith. And he said, this is how I honor God, Jason. You know, I honor God by giving my best 100% and doing the best that I can for him. Colossians 3 talks about doing the best that we can for him and all that we do to honor God, not man. And he said, I'm honoring God by doing this right now, by getting this workout. And this is what I'm doing here. I'm Mm -hmm. honoring the Lord. And so that's how he viewed it. And I thought, what a great lesson. And I remember telling that story over the years, but I really, until we, until we started putting this book together, didn't grasp the depth of his lesson that day hmm. as, far, as far as being a follower of Christ and really giving our best, even in our secular workplace, right, where we go to work every day, 
and having that honor God almost as worship. Work is worship. We've heard that saying before. And that's what I learned from Drew Brees. Like this dude just won a Super Bowl. He's here giving his best 100% in a workout in front of all the ESPN employees, by the way. Not intentionally, right. but it's just kind of how it worked out. And that was how he honored God. So another person that you talk about in the book that had a profound impact on your life, and I can't remember if you were putting him through the car wash or not, but was Tony Dungy. And yes. he's a guy that we all respect. Um, I was praying he would come to the Chiefs. Uh, he never did, but we got Andy <laughs> Reid and we won the Super Bowl. So uh, It's I worked out okay for you guys. Yeah, it's worked yeah. out okay for now. Um, <laughs> but you're, you end up having a conversation with him, <clears throat> excuse me, and his assistant, uh, Jessica, and she said something to you that was kind of a game changer for your faith and your vocation. Tell our listeners what that was. Yeah, so Coach Dungy's coming to ESPN to do the car wash, just like you mentioned. And uh, he's promoting his book, The Mentor Leader. And he's got Jessica, his assistant. He's got Todd Starowitz, his, his publisher, um, promotions guy. And he's got Nathan Whitaker, who's his co-author. And so those four come to ESPN. And I had known the other three, Todd, Nathan, and Jessica, from previous uh, engagements or whatever. And they knew that I was a Christian. And so they told Coach Dungy, hey, Jason is a follower of Christ as well. And, uh, you know, for me personally, Rusty, I was excited about that day. Like Coach Dungy's coming. I knew about his faith and this was going to be a great day because I knew that he was going to try and work Jesus into his answers on ESPN. So I'm thinking this is going to be awesome. Little did I know that a question that Coach Dungy would ask me would change my life forever. So we find ourselves in the green room right after Mike and Mike in the morning and we got about a half hour wait, Coach Dungy sitting there and First of all, why take an interest in me? Who am I? But that's not who Coach Dungy is. He said, I'm going to ask Jason about himself and, and learn about him, which he didn't have to do. I've had many people come through who had no interest in learning about me. They were there for business, and that was okay. That's my job. But Coach said, Jason, tell me about yourself. I understand you're a Christian. And here's the question he asked, Rusty. He goes, how do you live out your faith in the workplace here at ESPN? And I'd never been asked that question before. In fact, I never even thought about ESPN as a place to live out my faith. And so my answer to him probably was not a satisfactory one. It was, Coach, I don't even know if I can do that here. I said, I'm a follower of Christ, but I think I need to go work for a ministry like Sports Spectrum or FCA or Athletes in Action or something like that if I'm going to live my faith out in the workplace. And I could sense Coach Dungy wasn't real happy with my answer and he was about to jump back in. But before he could, Jessica, his assistant, just steps right in front of him and she looks at me. And Jessica and I had a good relationship, so I think she felt like she was comfortable in doing this. And she just looked at me and shook her head and said, Jason, you just don't get it, do you? And I said, what don't I get, Jessica? That's kind of harsh. She's like, look where you work. Look at the place that you work. ESPN, 4,000 people. What a great ministry this is for you to be able to be a light to those who might be stuck in the darkness every single day that you wake up and come to work at ESPN. She goes, until God calls you away, spoiler alert, he did, but until he calls you away, you're to bloom where you're planted. And so Coach Dungy's question changes my life. That answer, that line from Jessica, bloom where you're planted, changes my life. And it was like this light bulb above my head got brighter and brighter, and I just started to get it. I realized from that day forward, and I don't know why I didn't realize this before, but sometimes you need those moments, right? I realized that I was now a Christian 
who would happen to be a producer at ESPN. And to be honest with you, Rusty, for the first nine or 10 years of my time at ESPN, I was probably an ESPN producer who happened to be a Christian. So the order is important here. The, the two titles didn't change, but I had to be a Christian first. That was the centerpiece of who I was. It wasn't just a piece of my life. It was all of who I was. The centerpiece of my life was Christ. And so whether I went to ESPN or came home or the grocery store or church on Sunday, I was a follower of Christ who was doing these other things. And that's really where the game changing took place for me when I recognized that, oh, yes, I can be a follower of Christ at ESPN. I can look at this as a place where I can live out my faith, as Coach Dungy asked. And I can recognize that that's not just a thing at ESPN. That's everywhere I go. You know, my faith comes with me. That's number one in my life. Okay, so let me just let me piggyback on that question because, I mean, everybody that's in the workforce would say it's competitive. Everybody wants your job. You know, you want to oh, yeah. keep your job. You want to su- succeed. But, man, you're at ESPN. Everybody out there in broadcasting, everybody out there doing any kind of sports work, that's the pinnacle for them. Everybody wants to get there. And by the amount of people that end up leaving there, it tells me that it's obviously not, you know, perfect. Uh, So there's, it's a competitive, high, you know, demand, dog eat dog world there with a lot of, uh, you know, male uh, kind of aggression to try to succeed. And you get a lot of sports people in there and former players and coaches. How do you live out your faith in such a high pressure um, situation? Well, I had it backwards for many years. That's the whole idea of the uniform yeah. of leadership, the title of the book, because I was wearing my uniform backwards. Every single day I would wake up and I got caught up in that competition of achievement, of accomplishment, of trying to climb the corporate ladder, that I was so focused on that next job and trying to get that next job. What I failed to do in wearing the uniform backwards was I was so focused on me that I forgot about others. And the real success, the real beauty in being able to live your faith out in the workplace is when you become like Jesus. Jesus talks about in Matthew 20, 28. He also says it in Mark 1045 that he came not to be served but to serve Mm. and give his life as a ransom for many so we're talking about the savior of the world saying i came to serve and that's how we're supposed to be as followers of christ and that means in the workplace you know where serving is like a taboo thing how could i want to serve others is because i take what i have it's like nope that's actually not how success works to me after that coach di- that day with Coach Dungy and just going forward as I started to focus on others and trying to be a best teammate I could be and knowing that my job reflected the people who were with me. So if I did my job right, it was actually serving them and being there for them, being available to them. How can I help you along on your journey? That really was a game changer for me. And that's how I live my faith out, if you want to know the truth through building those relationships, because eventually we're going to get to a point where we're going to get a little deeper than just talking about work because we have a relationship. So they're going to say, Jason, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your, your wife, your daughter, what's most important in your life. Well, bam, right there. I'm ready to go. And I actually love the, the verse first Peter three fifteen. You know, Peter says that we're always to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that's within us, do it with gentleness and do it with respect. And so as you serve others, as you live out your faith in the workplace, you are to be prepared. And then when those opportunities come, 
to tell others about the hope that you have within you and certainly being gentle, being respectful. You know, you mentioned the dog eat dog world of a place like ESPN. Yes, that exists. But I think, you know, John Gordon talks about that power of positive thinking or positive leadership. That's what gentleness and respect and loving and serving. There's something beautiful about that. And I don't care if it's in a place like ESPN where everybody's chomping at the bit. There's a lot of pressure and you're trying to, you know, hit deadlines and get ratings. And, you know, there's a lot of money that's at stake here for the work that a lot of us do. But you can still remember that we're talking about human beings here. And when you show them service, when you show them love, when you show them a gentle spirit, um, I think that can have a really great effect on people. And that, for me, that just allowed people to ask me about the hope that I had. And I, I tried to tell them as much as I could. Um, we have a lot of pastors that listen to this podcast and every week we're writing messages and delivering that content either online, like we are right now or, uh, in person. And we're trying to engage with that guy sitting out there that is, you know, obviously loves sports and loves his family and those kind of things. But at the same time is in a high pressure really tough job situation. As, when you were in that situation and you would go to church, what did you need most from your pastor? I needed to know a couple things, I think. I needed him to, you know, I needed him to listen. You know, it's weird, a pastor, sometimes you're looking for advice, but sometimes the role of a pastor, and I happen to be an elder at my church, so I've seen it now from church leadership in the last few years mm-hmm. uh, from a different perspective. But early on, as I was walking through this walk, this journey that we talk about, I really just, I was looking for somebody to listen and uh, almost like a counselor would. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't expecting him to counsel me per se, but I just needed to know somebody who was there um, to understand that it's not perfect, you know, and that we're all going to falter and uh, nobody has this thing perfectly figured out. Um, And it's hard for pastors to understand about work in the secular place for many of them because it's their job is to work in the church. So they don't necessarily know what it's like to be at a place like ESPN every day as a Christian. It can be hard. Um, So listening, I think, is one. The other thing I think of is, you know, cultivating an environment where discipleship and relationships uh, are prominent. And, you know, I got myself into a, a small group. We call them, uh, we call them home group church. And I got in that really early on. Uh, men's ministry also helped getting around some other guys and just kind of being open, uh, with, with guys. I think that's important, but the small group setting was a real big thing for me to know that I was with other people who were working jobs in the regular workforce, just like I was. And, uh, and to be able to just come together each week to talk, to listen, to learn, we would always have a lesson, uh, that would be taught and kind of getting God's word in the middle of the week Mm. and just pausing from the craziness of work. That was important too. So my pastor really cultivated a great, uh, atmosphere culture, if you will, of understanding the importance of small groups and, and discipleship. And that's really where that took place for me early on. That's great. Okay, so you you went ahead and let the cat out of the bag. You're no longer at ESPN, so just update everybody as to where you are right now and what it is you're doing. Yeah, about three years ago, um, I left ESPN. A very difficult decision, and uh, but took a leap of faith, for lack of a better word, and felt myself being called to ministry. 
And so this opportunity to go work for a sports ministry called Sports Spectrum, which we like to call it a sports media ministry, uh, allowed me to kind of take the skills and the talents and the experiences that I had at ESPN. And what I like to say is use them for a greater good. Um, so I host a podcast called Sports Spectrum. It's also a radio show. And it's a show where I get to interview athletes, coaches, people in the world of sports, and even those outside of the world of sports, pastors and authors, and talk to them about the intersection of sports and faith in Christ. And so we get to bring Jesus back into the conversation, as I like to say, in talking to so many of these people in the world of sports and ask them questions that they never get asked. Uh, you know, we just had on James Brown from CBS Sports, the, the, the anchor. Uh, JB is one of the best, and I've known JB for many years, worked with him in different spaces. And uh, you won't find a more deeply rooted man of God than, than James Brown. And so having him on, he's doing an interview with me, and I'm asking him about what's been going on in 2020 through the lens of Christ that is not being asked to him by anyone else. Because the secular world isn't going to ask those questions for obvious reasons. So I left going to go into this sports spectrum world, this ministry world, because we got to ask the questions that others won't ask. And they're the most important questions, quite honestly. It matters of faith, it matters of our walk with the Lord, things like that. So I work for Sports Spectrum. We also have a website, sportspectrum.com. We have articles every day on stories of sports and faith. We have our magazine, which many of your listeners might remember. The magazine has actually been around for 35 years. It was sort of a Christian sports illustrated in the 80s and 90s when it was at its heyday for subscriptions because the magazine was back then and the way they're consumed now and now. But it's a real story. I'm really proud to have part of it grow it the last three years. But that's what we've been doing. It was not an easy decision. We talked about off air, off air, started, started. It was a leave of faith that made 40% pay cut because to to learn, to grow, stretch, get uncomfortable with faith a little bit. I think what God does, God does work. That's work. Wow, that's that's so good. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a few names here. We're gonna wrap this up with some uh, okay. a little popcorn here. I'm gonna give you a name. Give me uh, two or three adjectives for each of these names. Okay, uh, Bob Lee, uh, the general. Uh, that was his nickname, and uh, he created an amazing culture. He was prepared. He was inclusive, and that's not something every every person on air was at ESPN, you know, meaning he included his, his team, his family, his producers uh, in the work that he did, and he was professional. The professional of professionals at ESPN was the general Bob Lee. Okay. Dan Patrick. Extremely talented. Uh, top three interviewers I've ever seen at ESPN. The way he could carry an interview on a radio show was better than anyone I had ever seen. Uh, from a radio perspective, I put him right up there with Mike Greenberg and Mike Golick as uh, two of the best I've ever seen at interviewing people uh, from the radio side. And uh, just a, tr uh, you know, a legend. That's another one for you because that's a guy I watched as a kid, the big show with Dan and Keith. And suddenly I'm right next to him while he's doing his radio show and, and working with him and, and others at ESPN Radio. It was pretty cool. Uh, you had a chance to hang out with Pete Carroll. A lot of our listeners are uh, Trojan fans, unfortunately. So uh, tell us about Pete Carroll. 
I like how you threw in, unfortunately. Yeah, it's just very subtle. That was very subtle there, Rusty. Good job. Uh, Pete Carroll was, I only spent the day with him once. Um, It was 2010, about 10 years ago. It was the day George Steinbrenner died, of all days. It was a very weird day. Um, But I saw a guy who was a thermostat and not a thermometer. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is Pete Carroll set the temperature in the room when you walked in, and he controlled the environment in the way that he carried himself in the way that he made others a priority. And he could have really, that day was a, a chaotic day. I'll let people read or, or can ask us offline sometime about that day. But it was a very chaotic day where he could have easily just reacted to me, who was very much setting a, a very warm, hot thermostat that day. And he brought the thermostat down to a normal level in the way that he carried himself. And I saw a guy who was just... Um, Super awesome, like just inquisitive, asked a lot of questions, uh, go with the flow, great leader, and obviously the success that he's had both in college at USC and now with the Seahawks um, speaks for itself. Yeah. All right, last one. Will Farrell. <laughs> Will Farrell. speaking of USC, right? Um, right. I've had people say to me, how could you include Will Farrell in a book about Jesus? And I was like, fair question, fair question. But I think we can learn lessons about Jesus and leadership in all walks of our life, right? And so Will Farrell was one of the first car washes at ESPN that I ever hosted was with Will Farrell back in, I think it was February of 2008. So we're going back 12 years now. And he was promoting his movie Semi-Pro, that basketball movie that he did uh, representing the old ABA. And he came dressed up in the ABA, you know, outfit, the warm-up jacket for for basketball fans that would remember that, and basically like a Harlem Globetrotters warm-up. And uh, you know, he was such a big star at that time. He still is, right? Will was funny, and he was genuinely funny. He was naturally funny, but he was really gentle and kind as well, especially off camera, off the air when he was just kind of walking in the hallways. He was super nice to me. But he was everything you would think he would be as far as comedy, as far as being funny, but never never uh, vulgar and never overly offensive, I think, in, the, in terms of trying to hurt people to gain a laugh. He just had fun. And the lesson I took from that that I included in the book was this is a guy who just understands that, yes, we should take our job seriously and we should take our walk with the Lord seriously. But I believe God gives us this opportunity to really enjoy our journey as well and have fun and laugh. And that's what Will Ferrell taught me that day. That's for sure. That's great. I uh, know some people that have had a chance to play golf with him and they just say he's just really kind and, and yes. just naturally funny. Well, yeah. the book uh, is called The Uniform of Leadership. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's a great read uh, for all of our listeners who are um, thinking, you know, I don't watch a lot of ESPN, but my husband does and would love this. Pass this, uh, this podcast on the, along to them and get them a copy of the book, The Uniform of Leadership, uh, Jason Romano, and I think they will love it. Uh, it's a great, great read. Jason, thank you so much. This has been uh, not only entertaining, but educational as well, and I think inspiring. And I forgot from the book, but I see it on the back of your wall there that you are a New York Mets fan. And for I that, am. I say I'm sorry because yes, my Kansas City Royals that. beat you all. Um, and um, That's okay. You know what? I still love you. And uh, we had Daryl Strawberry in to speak one time. He was so great. We loved him. 
Daryl um, has become – he was my sports hero as a kid. That's his jersey behind me if you're watching this. And you can actually uh, say hi to Daryl for me. The weird thing is we've become good friends over this journey. And I have another story sometime that I'll share about him and I at ESPN. So, yeah, Daryl is the real deal. He goes, speaks, shares his story, his testimony, and points people back to Christ. So, But thank you for, for feeling sorry for me because I am a long-suffering – New York Mets fan. 34 years since we won a title. I don't think it's going to be 30. I don't think it's going to be this year that we're going to win it again. So, you know, you just hang in there with your teams. That's all you can yeah, do. Yeah, you keep holding out for the next Bill Buckner to help you out. So. <laughs> <laughs> Very well done. Thank you, Rusty. Now, this has been great, buddy. This has been great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate oh, it. Thank you, Jason. We will talk to you again soon. Well, thanks to all of our listeners for listening. Share this with a friend, and we'll talk to you next time. Let's just